0: This is God's word from First Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Amen. Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing? You guys Good. It's good to see you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad to have you join with us for worship today. And uh, as has been mentioned a few times, our theme for today, uh, based on this passage and based on this letter that we're looking at, is the theme of gratitude. And I just want to express how grateful I am to get to have this opportunity to open up and teach God's word. You know, we spent a lot of work over the last year, uh, myself and the pastors and the renewal team, really seeking the Lord for how best can we articulate what the, the mission and the values of this church family Family are. And the way that we phrase it is our mission is to raise up wholehearted followers of Jesus, wholehearted followers of Jesus. And we want these wholehearted followers of Jesus to have four qualities to be grounded in Scripture, to be those who enjoy God to be those who grow together with other believers, and to be those who are on everyday mission. And that first value being grounded in Scripture is why our worship gathering has so much Scripture in it. And we are going to take some time to unpack the first five verses of the, the letter, the first letter that Paul and these guys wrote to the Thessalonians. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, I know we sort of kicked it off last week by looking in the book of Acts, but today we're actually in the letter of First Thessalonians. So last week was like the prequel, and this is when the movie actually starts. So will you join with me in a word of prayer, and let's uh, open our hearts to receive from God's word. God, we thank you that you gave us the scriptures, this firm foundation, as we sang about earlier. We thank you, Lord, that though these words were written so long ago, nearly 2,000 years ago now— Uh, Lord, we thank you that they're still really relevant to our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, for myself, I pray that you would guide my words and direct my speech, guard my tongue, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, would you give every single one of us a soft heart, a teachable heart, and that we would grow closer to you and we would grow more like you as a result of our time together here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on Friday night, I took my younger two daughters to their first, like, big kid concert. They're 10 and 13. We went to the Showbox. There's a kind of a ska punk band that they're really into. And so we went. And uh, it turned into just this epic night, me and my two youngest daughters. Uh, they decide, the 13-year-old decided during one of the opening bands that she wants to be right up front, literally on like the barricade, you know, where you get crushed and where you get kicked in the head by crowd surfers. Both of those happened to her. Proud papa moment. But my, my 10-year-old was standing back by the soundboard, because I like to hang out where, you know, in theory, it's going to sound the best, by the soundboard. And she looked at me, she's like, Dad, I can't really see, and I really want to be up front. And I was like, well, Reagan's up there. I can kind of see her little blonde head bobbing around. I said, I'll text her, and she, you, can, you can, like, I can't push to the front. I'm now a unofficially a middle-aged man who just, if I shove my way to the front, I'm going to get mean looks. But you're a cute, adorable kid, so you can just crawl under people's legs or whatever. And so she goes all right. And so she does it. She takes off. She goes to the barricade. They stand up front for the whole show, being right there. The the lead singer gal, she's like pointing at him and waving. And they got a set list. They got guitar picks. And then on the way home, we did the the Gray family tradition for any sort of late night outing. We stopped by uh, Dick's drive-in for burgers and fries and milkshakes, much to the glory of God and the not good of my waistline. And we're driving home. And it's, it's late. Like, this is like, we're getting like, one o'clock in the morning late now. We're driving home. I know you're all judging my parenting. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. I left them at home with my wife on Saturday and went and helped our new music guy move his, uh, into his house. So, uh, but we're driving home and, and, uh, one of the kids just looks at me and goes, dad, just like this really sweet, sincere moment goes, thank you. Just like this really, really sweet. And I was like, did you know I was preaching on gratitude this Sunday? Did you, Read my sermon notes, and it's just that one of those precious moments as a dad where uh, any good parent loves to give blessings to their children, right? Any good parent. When Myung preached on this back in the parables a few weeks ago, we see that that's a portrait of our God in heaven who loves to give good blessings and give, give good gifts to his children. Our God is not a stingy God. Our God is not a miserly father. He is a blesser of those whom he loves. And every everyone enjoys that blessing. And We all know that feeling of when you you're able to bless someone else and they express that gratitude to you, right? Now, on the flip side, Every good parent also knows when those blessings are not necessarily being received with gratitude, right? Maybe whether you're a parent or not, or if you've ever worked with children or a teacher or maybe an aunt and uncle or something like that, and you've given a gift, and you can kind of tell when it's like, ah, cool, another switch. Great, I already have four. You know, whatever. It's, you, you have that moment where it's like, hmm, well, now I don't feel like blessing you anymore. Uh, no one likes to be around an in-grade, Right? No one likes to be around a spoiled brat. I mean, literally, the entire Willy Wonka franchise is all about how no one likes to be around a spoiled brat. But I will argue that every single one of us struggles to one extent or another with ingratitude. Can I get an amen from anybody in the church today? I know in my own heart, I struggle with ingratitude. I also will argue, though, that God offers us a way to live in the gratitude that he gives us and i would also argue that these letters of first and second thessalonians really show us a pathway to gratitude that is not fleeting but is based on a firm foundation and so the big idea of today that i really want to share with you is this it's just it's simply that when we truly see the goodness of god we can't help but be thankful When we truly see the goodness of God, we cannot help but respond with gratitude and thanksgiving, okay? So let's dive right in, picking up in the first verse. It says this, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace, and then it says, we always thank God for all of you. Pause. We always thank God for all of you. This is right out of the gate. We're getting that theme, and it weaves its way all the way through this letter. Now, uh, the church in Thessalonica, we looked at it last week. Thessalonica is this major city in Macedonia, which is near Greece. It's an important trade city. It was named after Alexander the Great's sister. So it's got kind of a pedigree of being an important city. And Paul and his traveling companions, this is their second missionary journey. They went to that city. They went to the synagogue. They started a church. They started accidentally a riot. Well, the other guys did, the the bad guys, the the, the grouchy religious leaders started a riot and they get out of Dodge and go on to Athens and the rest is history. But notice here the authorship. It is a group authorship. It is Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And actually you should note that all the way through this letter, It is almost always the group we. We thank God. We want to encourage you. We want to. So I know that myself and the other pastors who are gonna teach in this, we will say, well, Paul says, but if we're being faithful, we should say, these dudes, these guys, these bros, say, okay? Now, Paul, you're likely the most familiar with. His Hebrew name is Saul, and he had this massive encounter with Jesus. He used to be a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. He encountered the resurrected Savior on the road to Damascus, was blinded, was actually blinded blinded in his earthly eyes, but his spiritual eyes were opened. Amen. And he had this major life transition where instead of becoming a persecutor of followers of Jesus, he says, now I'm all in on sharing the good news that Christ is risen. Timothy. Maybe you're familiar with Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in training. If we had gone back last week into Acts 16, we could have found his story. He is, he is half Jewish and half Greek, and he is a young convert. Maybe some say even as young as 16 or 17 years old. He's taken with Paul and the traveling companions and apparently is quite a talented, quite a gifted young man uh, in teaching and leading. There are several letters that bear his name, the letters of First and Second Timothy, when Paul Sent him to be uh, kind of the lead pastor over the church in Ephesus, and it's all these pastoral instructions. In fact, those letters are sometimes called uh, the pastoral letters. And then this guy, Sylvanus. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know who in the world Sylvanus is. Well, you would be wrong. You do know who Sylvanus is because Sylvanus is just the Latin version of the Hebrew name Silas. It's Paul and Silas. It's Silas that was with them in the Philippian jail. So if you've ever read the book of Acts, you are probably familiar with Silas. He was a member, if we went back yet another chapter to Acts 15 last week, which we didn't, but I'm saying we could have, but we didn't. So, uh, Acts 15, we would have met Silas. He's part of the Jerusalem Council. He is an early travel partner of the Apostle Paul's. And actually, he's also listed as one of the helper authors, maybe writers. What They call it an amanuasis. It's the fancy word for the guy who actually knew how to write. Um, my handwriting, I'm so thankful for keyboards and for computers and all that kind of stuff because my handwriting stopped maturing in about first grade. Uh, so if I, I would not be the amanuasis for the team, but uh, Silas or Sylvanus is the one who. Is uh, part of this authorship group. So they, they introduce this theme of thankfulness right out of the gate, okay? And, and, and what I'm gonna argue we can see, we can see why they are thankful, like the, like the foundation for their thankfulness. We can see the specific things they're thankful for, so the what of their thankfulness. And then at the end, I wanna spend a little bit of time asking how we can grow in gratitude. So if you're taking notes at home, that's the why they're thankful, the what they're thankful for, and how. We can have this gratitude. And some of you might say, well, that's what, why, and how. What about where and when? It's always. That's the when is always, okay? Don't ask silly questions. Let's keep going, all right? Picking back up, verse two. We always thank God for all of you. Here's the why, okay? Making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God, our, our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, your endurance that's inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel didn't come in in just word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Okay, this is no generic gratitude. When I say generic gratitude, I'm thinking about the way that thanksgiving and gratitude and thankfulness is sometimes talked about in our world and in our culture, okay? It's it's a kind of gratitude that's usually just about circumstances, right? Well, you should be grateful because at least you've got your health. what happens when your health fails? Well, you should be grateful because you've got good and wonderful people in your life. Well, what about when your relationships go sideways? Well, you should be grateful because, you know, at least you've got money in the bank. Well... What about when it all goes away? Because you invested it in Bitcoin or whatever, right? Well, you should be grateful because, you know, at least it's a free country. Okay, it's always out there. It's always some sort of circumstances. That's the way that the world encourages us to be grateful. Now, we should be grateful for the blessings of this life, amen? We should be grateful for the 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 relationships we have, the financial provisions we have, the enjoyments we get. I'm glad that I was able to take my daughters to a concert and have a fun time, and I'm glad that there was gratitude there. But the kind of gratitude, the kind of thankfulness that is advocated here is not a generic gratitude, and it's not rooted in our circumstances. It's rooted in the message of the gospel itself, okay? It's a gospel gratitude, It's, 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 it's these guys, Paul and Timothy and and Silas are saying, like, you've heard this message and it has fundamentally reoriented your life and given you this new firm foundation for gratitude. It's a, it's gospel language. It's a gospel gratitude. And, and look at all this different language in these verses that is gospel sort of language. First of all, it's this gospel that is Trinitarian. Did you notice in these verses is Father and Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in these first five verses. So as Christians, we believe that God is three in one, three co-eternal, co-equal persons existing uh, in the same nature and substance, but in three different persons, that God is relationship and love within himself. We've talked about that in recent weeks. But when we talk about the work of the gospel, when we talk about the work of redemption, we are right to focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the one who came in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross in our place for our sins. Jesus is the one who rose victorious, conquering over sin and death and the grave. Jesus is the one who is now ruling and reigning over all things. And Jesus is the one who will visibly return at the end of the age to fully establish his kingdom. So we rightly focus on Jesus, but Paul and Timothy and Silas want us to remember that it is not only Jesus who is involved in the work of the gospel that God the Father is the one who has loved us before the foundation of the world. And it is the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who applies this message of Jesus in our lives when we believe the message of the gospel. So this gospel is Trinitarian. This gospel is loving. He says we are brothers and sisters who are loved by God. Will you say I am loved by God. Please say that with me. I am loved by God. Sometimes those simple but so profound truths are so important to remember. Why is there a gospel message? Why did God send his son into the world? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. And this gospel message is, it's Trinitarian, it's loving. This gospel message is also intentional. They use this phrase that you were chosen. He has chosen you. In other letters, Paul and his co-authors will use words like uh, 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 predestined or elect. And sometimes people get wrapped around the axle about words like that because it might be... I don't know, feels like a some sort of a loss of our uh, our decision-making or like we're somehow puppets or whatever, but friends, let me tell you, election and choosing and predestination are the absolute best news for you and for me. Why? Because it means that we didn't accidentally sneak into the household of faith. It means that we were wanted by God. Amen. You didn't somehow get in on a technicality. You were loved and you were chosen by God to be adopted into his family as beloved sons and daughters. So rather than protesting about, well, what, what does this mean for free will? And what about those who aren't elect and all that kind of stuff? Simply what these guys want us to respond with is just, thank you, Jesus, that I'm part of the family. We Worship and praise your name on uh, no good of my own did I find myself a redeemed saint. It's an intentional gospel from God. And it's an assuring. Because of that, it's an assuring. It says, with full assurance, in the Holy Spirit, with full assurance, Uh, I grew up in a faith tradition, very grateful for so many of the things of my formative years, coming to faith in Jesus at a young age. But one of the things I look back on and wish that I had understood sooner was that um, sometimes well-meaning believers, well-meaning leaders would try to say things to help motivate youth group kids not to sin, specifically not to touch females. Uh, And there was a lot of language around... You know, well, if you don't repent, and then if you, uh, it's always hit by a bus. Um, it's always you know, if you, you know, if you got in a car accident on the way home, and, and 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 there's kind of this like stoking of fear to help people try to avoid sin. Now, listen to me, loud and clear. We should avoid sin. We were not saved by the precious blood of Jesus, so that we can just go on presuming upon His grace and living in sin. But a better motivation than fear is like, well, what if you got in a car wreck and you died and went to hell? You know what a better motivation than fear is? Love! Thank you! And here, it's you have this assurance, you can be confident that even when you blow it, even when you screw up, even when you fall into sin and stumble into sin, that if you go with a repentant heart and a repentant attitude before your Father who loved you, who chose you, before the God who is omniscient and knew about all your sins before you ever even committed them, you can go with repentance and you can access a treasure trove of grace and mercy every day of your life. Okay. So this is an assuring sort of gospel. Number five, this gospel is received by faith. It says your your works that are produced by faith. And friends, let me tell you this. You must believe this message. You must receive this good news by faith, especially for those of you who are here who are younger. You cannot live on your parents' faith. You can't ride their coattails into the kingdom of God. You must have a moment where you look at this message, you look at this Jesus and you say, yep, I believe that for myself. I want that for myself. I'm gonna go into the waters of baptism and publicly declare my loyalty and my allegiance to Jesus the King. And this gospel is, I like this part, it's relational Meaning, we are not just forgiven of our sin. We are not just saved from eternal separation from God. We're also brought into a community, a people. He says, I thank God for all of you. And throughout this letter, uh, the, 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 the English language, the limitations of the English language that we don't see in the Greek, it's I thank God for you. It should be correctly, properly translated, I thank God for y'all. Can I get an amen from the Tennessee contingent? Yeah, that's right. Hallelujah, all y'all, right? Throughout this letter, it is constantly in this second person plural. It's constantly in this y'all that one of the blessings of the gospel is that we are brought into a people. We're brought into a family. Do, do you see how this is a different sort of gratitude? This is not just some sort of like, oh, just be thankful. You know, just have a grateful attitude. This isn't Disney Channel gratitude, This is gospel gratitude. Why are we thankful? We're thankful that God, three in one, out of love, intentionally chose us for salvation and we can be assured of his grace and we can believe in that message by faith and we can live with one another in a gospel community. That's a good reason for gratitude because that doesn't change when your circumstances change. Had I gone to that concert with my daughters on Friday night, and the band all got COVID and they had to cancel the show, we would be sad about that fact, but guess what? The tomb is still empty, and my price for redemption has still been paid, okay? So you can have a good day, you can have a bad day. You can be rich, you can be poor. You can be healthy, you can be sick. It sounds like I'm officiating a wedding right now, I'm not. But no matter what happens, you can know that the tomb is empty and Christ is risen, And you can still have gratitude. No, this doesn't mean that we put fortune cookie things on hardship or just, you know, cliche bomb. When when we go through real hardships, we need to lament. We need to grieve those things well. And we can lament and we can be sorrowful and we can say, man, this is hard and this is painful. But I, at the bedrock of my soul, know that the tomb is empty and my redemption has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to be okay. And I can therefore still be grateful. You tracking with me? So that's the foundation, that's the why. That is why they are grateful. It is a gospel gratitude. But now there's some contours, there's some shape for what they're specifically grateful for. Go back and look at verse three with me. We recall, here's the specific things. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You catch that little Pauline triad in there? Faith, love, and hope. Character qualities of the heart. Then it produces work, labor, and endurance. So let me let me let me separate these a little bit, okay? Let's talk about the hearts that Paul and Timothy and Silas are grateful for, okay? The hearts that they're grateful for. The first thing they mention is Faith, a heart of faith. When the gospel message really takes root, it, it, it produces a heart of faith. Now, faith is one of those words, particularly if you're newer to the Christian faith, you didn't grow up in church, faith is most certainly one of those like kind of churchy, Christiany sounding words. Or it's uh, George Michael and wham. You just gotta have faith, right? But the real, the thing about the word faith, I love when I'm reading the New Testament particularly, I love to sometimes swap out the word faith with one of these other words. Belief, or even better, trust, or my personal favorite, which is loyalty. Okay? Our English word faith, the Greek word is pistis, and it kind of encapsulates all of these things. It's, it's you're saying, I believe, I believe that the news about Jesus is true. I believe that Jesus lived, I believe that he died on the cross, and I do believe that he rose from the grave. But it goes deeper than just belief. It's actually a trust, right? It's it's, I trust that these things are true and I'm actually going to live my life in accordance with those claims. So if I actually trust that Jesus offers me forgiveness, uh, if Jesus offers me eternal life, I'm actually gonna live my life in a trusting sort of way. And I really like the word loyalty in there because it's saying I am actually devoting myself to the one who is the subject of this message. I'm going to be exclusively loyal. So when you say, I've placed my faith in Jesus, you're saying, I believe the message, I trust the messenger, and I'm exclusively loyal to this king. So that's one thing that these guys are thankful for. They're saying, man, I see the way that you have hearts of faith. And they also say, I see the way that you have hearts of faith. Love Now, love, if, if faith is an often misunderstood word, how much more is love often misunderstood, right? I love Jesus and I love pizza. I love pizza. Like with a lot more of my heart than I should, okay? And you're like, well, those aren't the exact same thing, right? Well, the word love, particularly in our culture, in our kind of emotions-driven culture, love is often just talked about in terms of affection. It's your feelings, you know, your feelings of love. And then that can get excessive, right? We see how people are like, well, oh, I just fell out of love or I stopped loving. And so well-meaning Christians come along sometimes and say, well, love isn't about the feelings. Love's about the action that you take. Love's about what you do. You know, those great American theologians, DC talk, love is a verb, right? It's what you do. And then actually... Sadly, sometimes then love gets talked about as it was like this kind of cold, Spockian determination. You know, it's like, I'm here to love you. I really love you. <laughs> yeah. I believe the pages of the Bible show us that love is best understood as this combination, like the, where, where affection and intention meet. If all you have is affection, that can come and go based on your mood. If all you have is intention and just kind of dutifulness, that lacks the emotional warmth that love really has in the fuller picture of the biblical word love. So love can be affection plus intention. And on the days when your affection wanes, you lean on intention. And there are other days where you don't have to lean on intention because the affection is there. What, what, what Paul and these, these brothers are saying is, man, you are living with hearts that are full of love. You are intentionally loving God and you are affectionately, passionately pursuing God. We even see this sometimes just um, like on a Sunday morning. You gather in, the band is playing, the music has started, and there's some song up there like, you know, God, we love you. Now, not our church, but other churches I've heard, sometimes people show up a little bit late. Sometimes, Again, not Sound City. Uh, sometimes people show up a little distracted, Sometimes people show up a little bit, I don't know, frustrated, angry. And you look at these words and you're like, I, I just love you, Lord. And you kind of have a choice. You can say, well, I'm just not feeling it today. So I guess I'll just put my hands in my pockets and just kind of sit here and wait for the feelings to come. Or you can say, I'm going to engage. I'm going to direct my own heart and soul to say, God, I, I love you. Help me to love you more. And you posture your own heart and soul in, in a way that you can say, yeah, God, I, I do love you. So they're grateful for these hearts of of faith, they're grateful for hearts of love and then they're grateful for hearts of hope. And again, hope, Christian hope. It's 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 this future confidence. Christian hope is not wish upon a star. Christian hope is not, well, I really just kind of hope and, you know, throw out a wish and a prayer sort of a thing. No, it says that your hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ, which means our hope is a future confidence based on a past reality. Christ will return. How do I know that? Because Christ was dead and buried and he rose from the dead. So, my future confidence is not some sort of wishful thinking. It is a future confidence based on a past reality. When we really let the gospel message get into our hearts, it produces faith, love, and hope. And they say that that produces not just a heart condition, that sounds bad, a quality of the hearts. But there's some tangible realities, right? It says your faith produces work. Now, this is gospel behavior. But the other word that they use right after this is love that produces labor, which is gospel service. Now, in in English, work and labor, they almost kind of sound like the same thing, right? What's the difference between work and labor? And I read a number of different commentaries, and I read a number of different, um, you know, Bible teachers and scholars on this to try to figure out, and the the long and the short of it is, nobody exactly knows what the difference, you know, how to fully uh, parse out the difference between work and labor because throughout the New Testament, these Greek words underneath it are used kind of interchangeably. But the best we can see kind of in this passage is that work is like good works, saying no to sin, saying yes to righteousness, 10 commandments kind of stuff. Not giving place to anger, not giving place to jealousy, not giving place to lust, the, the, the faith produces good works. These are not works that earn us salvation, by the way, right? It says, it literally says, works that are produced by faith. So that heart of faith leads to good works. The heart of love leads to good deeds. Care for the poor, clothing those who are in need, praying for the sick, feeding the hungry, adopting in orphans, taking care of widows in their distress. When a heart of love really sets in, it produces this. We literally have a phrase labors of love. Labor of love, right? It's something that we do to care for others. Gene Green is a theologian, one of his commentaries Gene Green, the theology machine. I like that name. He says, here, the word labor most likely refers to any kind of self-sacrificing labor the believers engaged in as they serve those both inside and outside of the community. And then the last one that is mentioned here is when we have a hope for the future, it produces endurance. And this is a godly sort of grit, a toughness that comes. So remember, when we read last week in Acts chapter 17, when this church was founded, from day one, they had all sorts of opposition. And the opposition was ranging from people speaking poorly about them and, and, and pressuring them kind of socially, all the way up to full, like, actual persecution, hard persecution of people being thrown in prison and people having to take, you know, um, having to pay fees, having to pay fines, and so right from the beginning, this church in Thessalonica had to learn how to endure, how to have some gospel grit, some toughness. And it's, it's from hope, right? It comes from hope. I'm looking forward to a world that is not like this one. I am looking forward to a day and a kingdom in which righteousness rules and reigns over everything. Are you looking forward to that day, church? Are you looking forward to that day when Jesus returns and we see his kingdom come fully? The older I get, every day that I live, I'm looking forward to that day more and more and more and more and more. And so when the gospel message shows up, it produces hearts of faith, hope, and love, which results in good works of Christian godly behavior, good deeds to serve those who are in need, and godly grit to endure even when things get hard. So the reason that these men are grateful, is the gospel message itself. And the, the, the shape of their gratitude is for the things that the gospel message does in the hearts and the hands of believers. And so I want to I land the plane by saying, okay, how do we get this kind of gratitude more in our lives? And, and just to go back to the big idea, the, the central point, I want to invite you to truly ground your gratitude in the gospel. To truly ground your gratitude in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning, nobody, it, nobody likes to be around someone who's in, un, like, ungrateful. And I think that um, particularly in church culture, there's a, there can be a tendency to try to put on a type of, gratitude, a type of thankfulness, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't seem ungrateful. We don't want to be jerks. Or at least I don't. I don't want to be a jerk. I often am, but I don't want to be, okay? But how do we get this gospel message like just deeper down into our bones so that we can have a real sincere type of gratitude? And I, have, I have three, three things I want to encourage you in. Three things to help us get this gospel deeper into our bones so we can have true gratitude. The first one is this. I want you to remind yourself every day that every good thing we have is a gift from God. Every single thing you have is a gift from God. Uh, Some of you know, and I've talked about it before, I hate cars. I hate them with a passion. They're a necessary evil. I would much rather teleport. They never work. They always break down at the worst time, because it's when you're trying to get somewhere. Uh, now, I have a car that I have a, uh, we have a relationship of tolerance. We get along just fine. Um, but there is definitely this flashing light on the dashboard right now that I need to check out soon. So again, just another day. I hate cars and I was driving my uh, second oldest daughter to school the other day, and as I'm pulling into the parking lot of the high school, I see a teenager, a youth, driving a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> now, we live in, this, in a part of the world that is, on the whole, quite affluent. And you have, every day of your life, an opportunity to compare paycheck, to compare possessions, to compare the niceness of your house, the niceness of your car, the attractiveness of your spouse, the obedience of your kids, the whatever it might be. Comparison abounds in the North Puget Sound suburbs. And gospel people are those who can, by God's grace, say every single thing that I have is a gift from God. And I don't need to have envy. I don't need to have comparison. I need to put those things to death by the help of the Holy Spirit. And remember, every good thing you have is a gift from God. Amen? Even my terrible car, okay? God, this is a gift from you. Second practice, second thing I want you to remind yourself. Now, if that first one is difficult, the second one's gonna get a lot more difficult. You ready? Ready? Every hardship that we experience is an opportunity to grow in gratitude. Now, remember, I I said this before, this is my caveat, my disclaimer. When we go through hardships and difficulties, just Bible verse bombing somebody is not necessarily a helpful thing to do. Trite cliches and platitudes aren't helpful, but there is a way to be truly grounded in the word of God so that when hardships come, we can say, Lord, this is an opportunity for me to be stripped away of other things that I might put more reliance in than on you. Lord, this is an opportunity for me to remember that no matter how much I'm hurting and how much I'm suffering right now and how much I'm struggling right now, you are still good because that tomb is still empty. You still love me. This hardship I'm going through doesn't mean that you stopped loving me because that tomb didn't stop being empty. And God, your character didn't change. So Lord, help me grow in the gratitude that I need for whatever, I can, whatever hardship I'm facing, I can still say thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was applied. This is difficult because it means you have to walk through hardships. We've talked about this recently. We love to avoid hardships. Every human loves to avoid difficulties and hardships. And our society is literally built around eliminating hardships. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Have you guys been paying attention to commercials? Every single commercial is... Good, you're not watching... You threw your TV in the lake, didn't you? Good job, Jeremy. if you're one of those yet to be sanctified heathens like me who likes to watch sports, you will see that every single commercial is offering you a pain-free or at least a lessening of pain in your life, some sort of heaven on earth. But friends, that's just not the reality of living in a broken world. Hardships come, suffering comes, and every one of those is an opportunity to dig deep into gospel gratitude. So you gotta remind yourself, Lord, every gift I have, everything I have is a gift from you. Every hardship I have is an opportunity to remember the gospel. And lastly, every day, number three, every day, the tomb is still empty. Um, Our Easter celebration a few weeks ago just had a profound impact on me on really recentering myself on this reminder that every day the tomb is empty. If the absolute worst thing was to happen to you, like let's let's just go worstest worst case scenario. That sickness you have ends in death. The worst thing, death. We serve a savior who conquered over death. And when that trumpet sounds, we will rise with him and we'll be made like him, glorified resurrected bodies. A new heavens and a new earth where righteousness and justice will reign forever. Our future is so bright. Our future is so bright. And so when hardship comes or when things don't go our way, we can still be grateful because every single day the tomb is empty. And as we prepare our hearts to eat and drink at the table of the Lord, as our brother Jeremiah comes to lead us in communion, I invite you to center your hearts on the gospel message right now. Lord, we pray that we would be people of gratitude not cheap thankfulness, not fleeting gratitude just based on our circumstances, but a gratitude that is is, is like pylons just driven deep down into the bedrock of the message of the gospel. Lord, help us to be grateful for the good gifts that we have. Lord, help us to embrace the hardships we experience as an opportunity to experience your comfort and, and the goodness of the message of the gospel. And Lord, let us be people who go out on mission full of thanksgiving, full of gratitude shining like stars in a world that is so full of entitlement and ingratitude. We pray these things in Jesus' good name, amen.